I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call. You know the show. Ten companies, ten stocks picked by you. Two expert guests here in studio today. And we will do it all over the space of about 60 minutes. It's Thursday, the 27th of May. I'm Nadine Blaney. So, who's here? Let me tell you. Joining me in studio is Ben Clark from TMS Capital and Rob Shears from Valor Private Wealth. Guys, it's going to be good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, So listen, let's just talk about the big picture for a moment. I was just saying, Ben, you know, we're in AGM season. There's a lot of expectation now as we move toward reporting season in August. I know it's a little early to say that, but that's the reality. so I was at a conference yesterday, the ERA conference, and yeah. listening to a buy side analyst say that uh, she wasn't too fussed about the lack of guidance that we've had through. She said it was actually liberating. And I thought of you because that sort of is uh, your line, isn't it? Well, I, my sort of view on gu- the problem with guidance to me is the market gets so fixated on the guidance and you can still see companies come out with great results. And if it's like 5% under what they said they were gonna do six months ago, you just see these massive knee-jerk sell-offs, and it it makes little sense. So I I, I think um, you know sometimes for many companies they would be better off just giving a very broad sort of guidance that's not too tight because things can go wrong, and it doesn't mean the business is incrementally better or worse as a result of that. So you know if you look at Aristocrat as an example, yeah. on, they reported on Monday their guidance was for growth this year. You know now. They, they then leave it to the analysts to do the work and try and interpret what that means. Um, but it probably means, you know, next time they come to their full year result, um, you're not going to get the volatility as much in the share price because everyone's not fixated on this. It's kind of madness in mm. a way. But companies seem to feel the need to do it. Um, and, you know, I think it's kind of like doing the work for the analysts in some ways. And, um, um, you know, probably prefer if there's less of it. Maybe that'll be one of these permanent changes that comes out of COVID. Oh, well, know. you never know, right? Yeah. Um, just on Aristocrat, what yeah. did you make of the result? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think it's, um, you know, one, it's a business that's in the sweet spot at the moment because you've got the digital business, which has got this massive push forward out of, um, out of COVID. And it's now actually like the margins on that business are accelerating. They're at like 33% now. But what the CEO was talking, he lives in Vegas and it was quite interesting. You know, he had, he had an investor day a few weeks ago um, and he was saying, you know, like Vegas is humming now. Mm-hmm. And 
I think of the eight big resorts in Vegas, there's less than a 1% um, occupancy rate on a weekend for the next 15 months. So the place is virtually completely full. Um, incredible. Yeah, and it's just because vaccinated Americans can travel again and they can go back to doing what they, mm -hmm. you know, used to doing. So the land-based business, which is the machines, you know, that they get this kind of role, it's almost like a mini casino in some ways, um, aristocrat. Um, you're gonna, it's going to be a boom time for them. So it'll be a good six months. Well, speaking of uh, travel and people getting out and about, boy, I tried to get away to regional New South Wales last weekend, didn't have much luck, ended up just finding a little hole in the wall someplace. But, <laughs> you know, the reality is, is that there is, um, you know, real demand for still domestic tourism. And it looks like that will be the case for quite some time. That's one of the angles of reopening. And then we have you know, this outbreak in Melbourne. So just really proving this stop-start nature of that whole thematic. Yeah, and I, th I think it's going to be stop-start until we get that 85% vaccinated um, number, which is what everyone talks about. And, and the canary in the coal mine is, uh, I think, Israel. Um, no one's dying, you know, the, apart from the bombs, et cetera, mm. but, uh, but from COVID, <laughs> uh, no one's dying over there. So once, once everyone's vaccinated, um, there's sort of no reason to shut any or keep any borders shut, and I think it has to open up. And, and the, the news about a week ago, which said we're getting the extra Pfizer vaccines before Christmas, I am expecting that uh, January open up um, for international travel, which is my other job, by the way. Most people don't know that, but I'm also an international A380 pilot as well. Oh, really? So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like so I, you're currently. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. on hiatus. Obviously. I'm on hiatus. Yeah, they told me to come back in three years, but uh, yeah. Oh, so, wow. but I did a simulator last, a couple of three simulators last week, and that was good fun. And so that's the chatter amongst your uh, airline <sighs> colleagues, friends. Yeah, well, everyone's hoping, hoping for January next year. It, uh, that's that's the uh, the hope. No one, no one knows, obviously, but. Uh, I hope I'm on one of your planes one day, and I hope it's one day soon. Anyways, let's get to the program. Stock of the day is a company that's out with a bit of news today, Costa Group. So it's holding its AGM, speaking of, that was a segue I was going to make, flagging that the continued short-term challenges arising from COVID restrictions. And I thought this was interesting, labor shortages, uh, adding that the issues will likely remain until at least next year. So the investors today, at least, really shrugging off any of the positive commentary around China and Morocco in particular, uh, with the company tipping that the first half is expected to be marginally ahead of the previous period. So guys, shall we get into it? Uh, I'll start with you, perhaps, uh, Rob, Costa Group. I mean, I think that the labor constraints really goes to case in point. I mean, yeah. if you think the borders open in 2022 and we're talking about these permanent changes from COVID, how does migration fit into your view when you're looking at the investment universe? I think everything's going to normalize relatively quickly. It, uh, the world wants to normalize. People want to travel, people, you know, tourists want to come to Australia. It, um, so if everyone's vaccinated and there's already a number of com countries which are showing what's probably going to happen and, and they will have a large amount of data. I think that everything normalizes sooner than most people expect, which means uh, tourists means that the backpackers come and start picking all the berries and etc. Um, so uh, I think it normalizes faster than everyone expects. That doesn't fix a lot of Costa's problems, uh, so medium to long term. But, what are uh, yeah. Costa's problems, medium to long term, then, in your view? Um, they are attempting to go into the high margin categories, which, which makes sense. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the mushrooms, the berries, et cetera. Um, but it's, these are still cyclical uh, businesses. And, and they, I think that 
over the next 10 years, which is going to see much of what's happened over the last five or 10 years, which is cycle, raise capital, dilute shareholding, cycle, raise capital, dilute shareholding. Because it's um, such a cyclical business at its core. And they're, correct. They're attempting to, uh, to reduce that cyclicality by um, you know, operations in Morocco and Africa, et cetera. But, um, but it's, it, it can't fix um, droughts and floods and all those things. So, okay. so this is not a buy from you today? It's, look, um, if they eventually get to a point where they have reduced cyclicality enough, their debt loads have been too high for us for, for a cyclical business in the past. Uh, if they get down to lower debts, reduce cyclicality due to their international operations, uh, we may be interested because they are going for the high margin um, fruit and veggies, which, uh, which does make sense. Um, uh, so... So uh, I'm going to take that as a no today. No today. No yeah. work to be done at Costa Group. <laughs> so what about the the upside for Costa? I mean, they could sell into the China market. Yeah. Um, some of these problems that they're experiencing right now in terms of labor constraints could be temporary. Yeah, I, I, I think they probably, I think Rob's right, they probably will be temporary. I, I, for me, the issue with this business is, you know, agricultural assets, there's, there's so many factors that are outside of your control. And... You know, last year they had um, an issue with berries that were crumbling and they, you know, it was too low quality to sell in supermarkets. They had fruit fly issues in their citrus. Um, we know the business quite well because we own a company called Vital Harvest, yep. which actually owns the land that these guys farm off. And we get like a look through of what's going on. They're, it's, they are, it's really high quality assets. Um, they're best in breed at farming. Like they've taken, I think, as much of the risk out as you can um, through doing irrigation, the way that they plant. Like we've actually gone and looked at, you know, they reducing pest and all this sort of stuff. But there's only so much you can do. And I think it's just one of these companies that probably shouldn't be listed. You know, I think mm -hmm. if you took a really long term view on it, it's probably a good buy. But today is a great example where I, I would have sworn that this company was in a sweet spot at the moment because Berry prices are really high. Um, a lot of the competition was taken out over the last couple of years. Um, there's been good rain. There's the, you know, the, the conditions in the bush have been strong. Um, but, you know, again, like labor shortages have come up and, and um, you know, it's another step backwards. So I, it's really hard to kind of predict it year to year. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with so many things out of their control and pricing is probably the main one, um, it's, it's an avoid probably for me. And and rule a rule I've always had, don't it's always tempting to buy companies when they drop like this. Yeah, because twenty down twenty one percent is a bit It's tempting. normally the wrong thing to do. You yeah. know, that's typically where there's one, there's two. Don't um, try to catch a falling knife. Yep. All right, so that's Costa Group, the stock of the day. Now let's get to the companies that have been picked by you. And the first one is for Peter. Washington H Soul Pattinson's S O L is the ticker code. Boy, do I have an expert guests for you. Because yeah. Ben You've been a long-term long believer term. in uh, yeah. in Washington National Pats. I think you called um, Milner the uh, Buffett of Australia. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say he's close. And um, this has been an an awesome business for us. I, you know, I think we've been investing in it for fifteen or twenty years now. And um, you know, it, it the, Sol Pats, I think, is you know, Sol Pats and Wes Farmers are probably two companies I think genuinely look after their shareholders, do the right thing. They're smart. Um, they don't, you know. We, I remember going through the um, the offices with Jeremy like 10 years ago and 
they were they were so <laughs> unkempt. Okay, so they're frugal. <laughs> they're frugal, and we said to Rob, you know, it's it maybe time for a bit of a refurb. And he was like, the thinner the carpet, the thicker the dividends. So, yeah, right. Nice. You know, and like that it. attitude does pervade through the business. <clears throat> the thing I would say at the moment is their their biggest investment is Brickworks through this cross shareholding that they yeah. have. Brickworks is on fire with the building construction yeah, and boom. Speaking of, they've got a really nice uh, Store display center just up yeah, here. Yeah, they do. Um, However, um, TPG, you know, is their second biggest investment. It is a bit out of favour at the moment. David yeah. Teo's left. I think there's a bit of uncertainty. Rob's always back David Teo. That's how they ended up in, in, in TPG. Um, and New Hope has got some question marks, you know, which is a big investment for them as well. Um, you know, Cole's certainly um, on the nose at the moment. So for me, it's probably a hold at the moment. I actually, I actually would say Brickworks is the one to buy at the moment because I think you've got that purer exposure to the building side of the business, which has probably got another few years of growth yeah. in it. Um, but, you know, this is a great business as a kind of a backbone of a portfolio. To yeah, me. but you're in a better position because you've held for 15 to 20 years. So yeah, you rush out and buy it today. I wouldn't buy it today. Yeah. No. Bonus buy is Brickworks there. Um, to Ben's point, Rob, I mean, Washington H sold Pats because of some of its holdings. New Hope, Round Oak, it is cyclical as well, in a way. Yeah, it is, it is. All credit to Robert Milner. He, he is uh, a brilliant manager and a, a great human being. So yeah, they're the sort of people you want running your businesses. Um, completely agree that it, it is, uh, it's got some cyclicality there. I, I'm concerned about the coal assets, that's thermal coal, not coke and coal, which, uh, which um, I think coke and coal is uh, probably more sustainable, but thermal coal is, um, it's got long-term issues. Um, the TPG share price has been smashed lately, so it's, it was its largest holding, but it <laughs> no longer is. Um, and I agree, Brickworks is uh, in an uptrend uh, with the building boom, et cetera, and uh, it's got some land assets they can uh, really utilize there. So um, I think it's overpriced for, uh, where it um, should be over the medium to long term, I'd say I wouldn't sell it if I owned it, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't buy it. So that's a hold. Yeah, it's a hold. Um, okay, let's go on to our next company, Acro Formwork and Construction Services. Now, David has written in and he's basically talked to us about the fact that it is a formwork and scaffolding hire for the infrastructure. Um, they've got contracts for government that run for years, thanks to the detail, low competitors, long order books, and uh, apparently guidance has been upgraded for FY21 and FY22. So he just wants to know if you guys think it's a good prospect of he, as he seems to think it is. Um, is Acro one of those winners from the likely infrastructure boom that's to come from this pandemic? It's certainly got some pretty solid tailwinds. So I, I listened to the, uh, the CEO's uh, recent call uh, from a couple of weeks ago and um, the um, amount of uh, infrastructure growth is sort of, you know, over 21 to 23 is expected to be 70 percent so you, know, you just need to um, you know, take, a, take a clip of that ticket uh, which they're likely to do and there's a lot of upside on this it's um, Having said that, it's not the world's best business, but it's, a, it's, a, it's not the world's best business in an uptick, uh, which means they could expand some margins a bit. It's not the sort of business I want to own for the long term because when the cycle does turn, mm. um, these things can be much more difficult than you uh, uh, think because um, they've got all the uh, equipment there and no one's building. So yeah. it's, uh, I, I wouldn't own it for the long term, but for the next two years, I think it's a short term bullish, uh, long term bearish. <laughs> and you'd be happy paying 37 cents for it today? Uh, it doesn't seem that expensive at this price, so um, 
Uh, look, there's a couple of things which concern me. You know, the um, people and companies it's dealt with uh, in the past, uh, there's a bit of um, some interesting uh, characters there. I'll say that as uh, at the most I'll say about that. Okay. Uh, it did a reverse merger. That concerns me a bit. You can't find their annual report on their website, so that's a bit tardy. There's, there's, a, there's a bit of housekeeping. Couple of, there's a couple of orange flags there about... You know, when I look at a business, okay, what are things which are going to turn me away from that as business? There's, there's a couple of orange flags there. So Don't be shy to say there are better places to put your money. There are better places to put your money, but I think that if you had a gun in my head, so whether it's going to go up or down, I think it's going to go up uh, over the next two years. So I, I, it's a tough one. I, I, I wouldn't buy it myself, but I would guess that it would go up over the next two years. Okay, well, for the game that I'm playing today, yes. you've got to tell me whether you would buy it today. Uh, I'll let you think about that, Ben. <laughs> yeah. For Acro Formwork, so pricing power is an interesting one. Yeah. And we've got rising aluminium prices, we've yeah. got rising commodity prices. Yeah. I mean, so they'd have to build that into their margins. Yeah. Can they do it? They probably can at the moment. Like, um, I think Rob's right. This is a highly cyclical business. And the thing you need to be aware of is the market will start pricing in the next downturn in the cycle well before it's evident that it's happening. It's just how it tends to play out. I, I reckon they do have another year maybe of growth. Um, they upgraded four-year guidance. They're trading on a P of seven times. That sounds cheap, but this business will always be cheap. It will always look cheap. Um, you know, it, it will never trade on a P higher than 10 times. And it's trading on seven times, probably quite elevated earnings at the moment. Um, I'd, I, I'd say hold. Um, and I, you know, I think into 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 we're competing. Into FY22 is when I'd be looking to get out of it because they'll be cycling much stronger numbers this year, and we're probably a year off yeah. this building and construction boom. In the downtime, this is not a business you want to own. The scaffolding gets sent back; they sit on it. They have mm. to try and find other people to take it. Not easy. You guys are both reticent to say, but it's just, it's one of those ones that you have to be cognizant that it would be a short-term holding. It has to be something that you feel comfortable holding with its, you know, do your own research into its background and everything else. Yeah, I, I personally, that's not my sort of company I'd buy, but okay. uh, um, but um, yeah, so, but I wouldn't, if I owned it, I wouldn't sell it, but I'll put it as a hold as well. Okay. But, uh, yeah. All right, that's Acro Formwork and Construction Services for you, David. Mm. Now, number three is from Tanvir. Talking about nickel mines, it has been on a bit of a downtrend, um, not sort of matching the patterns in his view for some of the other nickel miners, including Western Areas and uh, Independence Group. There was some insider buying recently in April, but he says it's just not reserved the trend, but he's pointing to some of those mega trends, you know, EV and the like in terms of nickel. So what's up with nickel mines lately, NIC? Okay, I'll start by saying this is not a business I'm highly familiar with, but I had a quick flick through. I mean, I, I think one thing is Indonesia, you know, where the yeah. assets are. Again, this is a business that's probably always going to look cheaper than you think it should because of um, Indonesia has in the past implemented, um, you know, it's, it's stopped um, producing mines, yeah. um, um, shipping out to external customers offshore. Um, it puts in some pretty strange rules at times, royalty increases, all that sort of stuff. Um, look, it's 35,000 tonnes per annum of production. The production looks like it's fairly low cost. It's in the lowest quartile, producing at about 7,500 US a tonne. Production is ramping up. The balance sheet looks conservative. It's trading on nine times. So 
you know, if you like nickel, it, it, it doesn't look like a bad place to be. I would just query the, you know, the caller or um, the gentleman who asked the question. I think it's a mistake. You know, you're sort of thinking, oh, I want to get the exposure to electric vehicles and so I'm going to buy nickel mines. So many things can go wrong with that one business with all of the moving parts that they've got going for them. It's not the way I would play, you know, try and get exposure to EVs and the ramp up. How would you see. get exposure? I, I think probably if, if you if that's what you're trying to do, it's probably like an ETF. I, yeah. I, I think, you know, like really blending it across, you know, there's ETFs now that invest in all sorts of companies that are going to be winners if if you're right. Um, there will be a number of up and down cycles in the nickel price, which will ultimately move the share price but as EV production ramps up over the next decade. So you've got to be in it for the long haul, I think. And, you know, I don't think there's any guarantees that this business is going to become some great winner out of um, EV production. Very closely tied with Chinese companies as well for its operations in Indonesia. Yes. Is that a risk in your view or a huge opportunity? Uh, um, it's a huge risk. <laughs> uh, the Chinese companies which are government backed are probably fine. Chinese companies which are not government backed are uh, probably more risky than others. It's, um, look, we the, the, the premise that this is a nickel mine for um, mining nickel for batteries is not correct. This no. is this yeah. is this is a nickel mine for pig, pig iron. It's pig iron. Uh, which which is um, that's you know what they're digging out of the ground and, yeah. and, and and so they did a study. They did a trial. Um, they said, oh, we're looking at potentially uh, producing the nickel for the batteries, but that's uh, that's a, it's, a, it's a different level of uh, of refining the nickel and uh, getting the nickel down to a much more purer um, sense. They haven't confirmed whether they're actually going to do that or not. So this is a fairly speculative play if you're thinking it's going to be a battery play because uh, they haven't said they're even going to make nickel for batteries yet. They, they've done a trial for a couple of months, but then they've stopped the trial and not yet confirmed whether they're going to do it or not. So uh, to the caller who rang saying, oh, look, is, is this a battery play? I, I wouldn't say it is. Um, uh, you asked yeah, about pig iron goes into the production of steel. So yeah, there, you, yeah, there are applications yeah. for yeah, pig when, iron. When you're eating your bacon easy. and eggs in the morning with your stainless steel uh, yeah. knives and forks, that's what this is for. Not um, no, well, not even that. It's your pig iron <laughs> low end steel. Mm -hmm. uh, so this this is not a uh, this is not a battery play. It's, okay. um, it might be if they if they confirm that, then maybe you go okay. Let's let's analyze what those margins are going to be. It might be a fantastic battery play if they do that, but they haven't actually confirmed that. Okay, so this is a no for you as well. Yep. Let's get on to the next company, Coles, so C-O-L. This is coming to us from Luke. So you've got Coles talking about normalization and shopping patterns post-COVID, everything else. And then we are seeing on the news yet again, empty shelves in yeah. Melbourne because yeah. of this lockdown that's being imposed from midnight tonight. I mean, it, COVID is sort of a blessing and a curse for these, yeah. um, these grocery stores, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, they obviously had the boom last year. Everyone was stuck at home, you know, buying more food in supermarkets because they're eating more frequently at home. Um, I, I'd say the positive for Coles potentially is there is some signs of price inflation coming through. And it's, it's something we haven't seen in the supermarkets for like since pre-GFC, you know, and, and it's one of the biggest driver of earnings is them just trying to get a bit more margin. When, when you get prices starting to push up, they can generally get a better margin out of it. So Coles and Woolworths would be a beneficiary of that trend. Um, so what do the numbers look like? 21 times forward, not bad. Um, I think the management's done a really good job since it was spun out of Wes Farmers. It's probably exceeded expectations in terms of how well it's been run. 
Um, you so often do see that demerged companies perform well under their own steam and with more attention from their own management who are more incentivized. Prefer Woolworths for me. I, I'd say Coles is a hold. Um, Woolworths, I think, is probably a buy because they're about to spin off Endeavour, which again, I think you're going to find if you come back in a year that the sum of those two parts is probably worth more than the whole. Um, so it's just probably a bit of a catalyst coming up for Woolies, which would make me prefer that one over Coles. Yeah, so there's that big catalyst. There's also the fact that they are really taking data in-house, so to speak, with the bigger yep. purchase. Yep. Um, supply chains, I was listening to a presentation last week. Supply chains is gonna be so crucial to Coles and Woolworths as we move out of this pandemic and strategically these companies start to position themselves for the future. So do you think that Coles or Woolies is in, in a better place to make those big strategic decisions and investments? Um, I think both in a similar place in terms of the, the supply chain issues, because a lot of them are out of their control. Uh, and both, both of them have got uh, very large and growing in-house home brand um, areas, which is um, probably um, uh, what's going to protect them from what's coming. Uh, you know, what's coming is what's already here, which is Audi, Costco and, uh, and, and Amazon. They're not going to stop. and. I would not want to be in a business where we're competing against Audi, Costco, and Amazon um, over the next 10 to 20 years. You know, in the short term, they're probably fine. I agree with Ben that Woolies, uh, I like the Endeavour business, and I probably want to own the Endeavour business over the other part of the business. But um, the, um, the idea that I'm going to compete with Audi, Co uh, Costco, and, uh, and Amazon over the next 10 to 20 years is not something that jumps me out of bed mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, because they are um, brutal competitors. Um, yeah, and I think that was my point with supply chain is that it's getting, you know, the massive SKUs and getting it to people very quickly. So if you think yeah. that, you know, grocery stores are not about bricks and mortar anymore, are they? They're, they're about e-commerce. Yep, yep. And, and I, I would guess that Amazon uh, gets their uh, supply chains better than everyone else in terms of their ability to, uh, to um, move faster and think differently. And, um, so, you know, Woolies and Coles aren't buying 767s to uh, uh, create supply chains. Yeah. Um, so whereas Amazon, uh, Amazon is creating their own supply chain to make sure that they control the process. Whereas, you know, someone like Coles is, even for the delivery, they're, they're partnering with other delivery providers rather than controlling the process. And that's, that's asset light. Obviously, you don't need to build out your network as much, but you don't have control. And, um, and when you have an Amazon who comes in and is prepared to throw billions and billions and billions of dollars of controlling the outcome, it's, you know, delivery penetration is going to win. And, uh, and you know, in 10, 20 years time, Amazon will have better delivery penetration than Coles and Woolies. And people will be buying more online in 10, 20 years time. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be in this business uh, over that length of time. Uh, in the short term, it doesn't look that obviously priced. So, no. but, uh, yeah, so, so um, Coles is a, it's a uh, hold? Hold, yeah. It's a hold, but you're more attracted to Woolies, but in that, the Endeavour business. You wonder, do you have any idea of the timing of this Endeavour? It's in the second half. Okay. I, I think it'll be, I think it's actually in the, the next month or two. Is it? Yeah, so That's it's interesting. a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. And it's like just this growing trend of like Australian companies, you know, the ESG sort of theme is real. You know, we've got AGL splitting in two. Yeah. Woolies basically, the, the nasty part of that business is the poker machines mm -hmm. yeah. that they want to disassociate themselves from. Um, however, it's a very profitable business, of course. And um, um, well, if you've got no qualms with aristocrat, I'm yeah. presuming you don't have any with Endeavour. I think everyone's got their line in the sand with this stuff. And um, I think you look under the hood, and you'll find most businesses have got something which you might 
be comfortable with or uncomfortable with. So, you know, Amazon, you know, we, we hear about the way that they treat staff, you know, it's, um, it's that I think it's different. It's a choice for everyone. Yeah. ESG, yeah. that filter that we're talking about constantly can be interpreted in many different yeah. ways, but it's not going away. No. Um, yeah. And you can also agitate from within as a shareholder. So an interesting conversation. All right. Grain Corp, I think, may be pretty short considering what these guys had to say about Costa Group. But for Jeremy, <laughs> let's go to it. GNC is the ticker code. Grain Corp's first half result was very strong. FY21 guidance also looking good. It was, in fact, upgraded. I think it was the week before last. It is a cyclical business, but it's in a sweet spot right now. So would you buy it? Um, if you've got a business which makes a 2% margin and the margins go to 4%, you double your profits. So uh, I can see where people see the upside. Um, but you know, th there will be another cycle. It's probably um, not happening this year or next year from the looks of it. But, uh, but as you can see, no one predicted COVID was going to happen either. No one predicted bushfires, droughts. You, you just can't see what's going to happen. Um, but this is a 2.2% net margin business over the last 20 years. Um, it's not a good business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not something I would like to be owning um, for more than about a week, uh, uh, throwing the dartboard thinking it's going to increase its margins. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult business. UBS has said that, look, uh, things are looking pretty good right now, but more than that, saying that they have had some pretty solid execution. So can you look at a business like Grain Corp and think, I feel comforted by management's ability to execute going forward? Or again, you know, is it one storm or one drought away from tough times? Yeah, well, look, um, I, I, I'm going to go buy on this one. Um, Talking about shareholder agitation, you know, if you, if you look at Grain Corp was wildly cyclical for years and John Wiley got on the um, on the share register, you know, he's a very well regarded ex-investment banker, now fund manager. And he basically came up with this proposal to take over Grain Corp, um, which didn't end up happening. But the what the reason he w thought they should is that he said, why not take an insurance policy out to protect you on the upside and the downside to take the cycle out? which Grain Corp has since employed. So, and I think that's made this a much higher quality business now. So um, the, I think, you know, the misconception can be that, you know, in good grain seasons or bad grain seasons, they actually, an insurance company now will write them a check if it's a bad season and they'll get less of the cut, which they did last year if it's a good one. I mean, the thing that would attract me to this business is the assets that it owns. The reason the margins are so low is because it's so asset heavy which I agree, like it's not desirable, but they are great assets. You know, these are monopoly storage and offloading and assets. Farmers need them. Grain Corp own them. It's probably attractive to another suitor at some stage. Okay. Um, it's trading on eight times earnings, which seems unusually cheap to me. I mean, that was only on two analysts that look at it, so I'd have to do more work into that. But I think there's enough there for me to say to buy. Okay, yep. we've got to buy to make it to the halfway <laughs> mark. Now that we're here, we'll let the guys have a bit of a sip of water. I'll summarize those first five or six companies actually that we've been talking about, plus this, um, including the stock of the day, Costa Group. So if I go back and look at the notes, uh, Ben says, look, it should be in a sweet spot right now. It is best in breed, but it's just at the mercy of pricing. This isn't a void for him. Again, it's cyclical and that's Rob's issue with it. Uh, the debt load is also too high. It is a high margin business if it can get things right in that berry space, in the mushroom space. But again, it's just in the too hard basket. Washington H. Soul Pats. Ben's loved this one for a long time. 
uh, he's aging himself. I think he said <laughs> 10 to 15 years or something like that. But regardless, he says right now it's a hold because of where it sits. Uh, it's expensive right now. Um, they do look after shareholders, but he says the, the buy in the Washington H. Soul group is Brickworks. So BWK is uh, the bonus buy here. Uh, Rob says that it's a hold. Um, he points to coal and he points to TPG. So he thinks it's overpriced at this stage of the game. Moving on to acro formwork and construction. Rob hated to say it's not a buy. I also didn't want to say it was a sell because we're in this cycle of this infrastructure spend. So he says, look, it's a hold. There are solid tailwinds, but it's definitely not a long-term hold. Um, it's one of those companies that will do well as we see the spending come through in the next couple of years. Ben agrees with that. They're going to have a couple of years of growth. It's always going to look cheap. So don't be blinded by that. It's a hold for him. But again, it will be a cycle that will play out in time. Now for nickel mines, uh, Rob says this is a no for him. It's not a play on the EV thematic, at least at this stage, and they'll have a lot of work to do before they get there. And Ben Clark says that if you want something to play that EV trade, the better way to do it would be with an ETF um, that will encompass a lot of the companies that could potentially benefit if this trend um, does get the legs that everyone is, you know, in fairness, anticipating that it will get. Just not here in Australia yet. At Coles Group, was a question coming from Luke. Uh, Luke, it's a hold in terms of Rob. He prefers the Endeavor spinoff from Woolworths, and that is the same for Ben. So that's likely happening soon. Um, so he would buy Endeavor. Uh, he's got no ESG qualms with that one. Um, but uh, he does think that Cole's management has done well. It's a hold for him. Um, and there are signs that there is price inflation coming through. Grain Corp, it's a buy for, for Ben. He looks at the assets and he adds that there could be a suitor. Um, and it's relatively cheap, at least on the work that he's done so far. Uh, and uh, Rob says, look, it's still, it's cyclical. There will be another cycle. And also he points out the margins. A, a business with uh, low margins, as Grain Corp does have, I think he said 2.2% is just not attractive to him. He's got better places to put his money in the market. All right. We've got our own portfolio, as most of you well know by now. We've been tracking it since July 1st of last year, thanks to our partner, NabTrade. So all of the companies that get a two thumbs up or a buy from both of the experts on the show, which has not happened yet officially. I mean, Endeavor was one, but that's not on the list. <laughs> it's not going in the portfolio. It doesn't exist yet uh, as a listed entity. So here's how we're looking over the week, up by about 3% on the month, up nearly a half a percent and year to date. So this is from July of last year. We're up almost 30 and a half percent. Thanks in part to these guys, uh, some of the companies and feel free to weigh in if you've got any strong views on these, um, Ben and Rob, but Abacus Property Group has gone in recently, Universal Store, Nanasonics, NetWealth and Janice Henderson Group. But if you'd like to know all of those companies that are in the portfolio, go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Thanks now, Trade. All right, let's get to the next company on the list. And this is for Sam. Hi, Sam. Thanks for writing in. Umedia, OML is the ticker code. Ben, I'll start with you. We're seeing <clears throat> lots of positivity in this economy. Yeah. That means advertisers start spending. Yeah. That means we're out and about more. Yep. Looking at these billboards. Yeah. Um, yeah, that me media has been a big beneficiary coming out of COVID. You know, the, the economy is in a full-blown boom at the moment and you always find that there's more money being spent on these sort of um, programs. It's trading on 16 times forward earnings, market expecting 14% EBITDA growth in the, in the, in the coming year. Um, I would say th these companies do own 
pretty good quality assets. You know, it's um, they actually you know physically own a lot of these of these um, locations where you can put the signs. They are actually quite valuable and hard to come by. Um, so you know that that there is some assets behind it. But again, this is a very cyclical business, and this is not the time to be getting keen. It was you know sort of time when we were you know everyone was worrying about the recession and the the, the market was in the doldrums. That's when you buy stocks like this. Um, so I would say this is a hold for now, but you know, to me in FY22, again, they're going to be cycling these really strong numbers in FY21. So you're going to see the, the top line growth rates are going to fall away. Um, and you know, the market again, as with Acro and some of these other stocks, will be looking forward at where the cycle goes from there, which we know will play out. So um, not one I'd be buying. I agree. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, last year they had um, a 34% decline in revenue. So that shows how cyclical this really is. Um, uh, you know, the, the founders left and uh, you know, whenever a founder leaves, someone steps in. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a different uh, dynamic. Um, and so you know, founders have skin in the game. That's their baby. They want to look after the things that they, so they probably do. Um, different things in terms of acquisition. They're not trying to uh, uh, prove anything. <laughs> They've already proved it. So, uh, so I'm always cautious when there's new management, um, which, which also concerns me on this one. Um, but as Ben said, this is, this is a cyclical business, but also uh, advertising, this, this went 34% decline in revenues last year. And obviously that was people not getting out of home advertising, but uh, you look at uh, Facebook and, um, and Alphabet, their revenues went up. Um, so if I can advertise to, and my brother-in-law owned a, used to own a, um, a biking business. So mountain biking, he was able to pinpoint who he wanted to advertise to in a certain area, a certain age group uh, and certain interests. So he's not wasting any advertising money, um, pinpointing the, um, the, uh, the advertising spent. So Facebook and Alphabet know their customer more to, to reduce advertising waste. And uh, I think that makes this a more difficult business going forward. All right, so it's, a, it's an avoid for me. It's an avoid. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, oh, media, sorry, not getting a lot of love here today. I think cyclical is the word of the day, you've got to think. All right, <laughs> let's get to our next one. We could talk cyclical with this as well. Baby Bunting, BBN for James. So is this a category killer, Ben? It is. That was actually the first what? term I had, so that's very good. We're, we're aligned. This is the Office Works, the Bunnings, the um, the Dan Murphys of babies. Yeah. Um, you know, I we actually used to own this stock, um, and it was after I had my first baby and sort of realised that I think this business is not as cyclical as a lot of people think it is. Because when you have a baby, we all you know know that yet there's stuff that you have to buy. You don't have a lot of choice in it, and um, um, baby bunting, when they first came to market, they had a pretty tough few years because um, their main competitors, they basically drove them out of business and those main competitors cleared a lot of stock, yep. etc. So it was a rocky sort of start for them. But as we knew, like once Baby Kingdom and there was another one sort of disappeared, suddenly they pretty much had the market to themselves. Kmart and a couple of others are really the only competitors, but they don't specialize in it. Um, and you can see what's happened since then. I think it's a hold at this price. It's trading on 26 times forward earnings, which is not cheap for a retailer. However, you know, if you look at Bunnings and you know some of these valuations, they probably are not too dissimilar. 
the birth rates falling you know i know it's a bit of a reach there but it's certainly people are having less babies um, which will mean less demand for products um, the online offering is strong which is important uh, so hold for me well that's what i was going to ask you are you as worried about Amazon for the likes of baby bunting as you are for some of the other retailers? Uh, not really. No, I, I think specialty stores, as Ben said, the, the office works and the Wes, the, the, the Bunnings, um, they have a place. And uh, so not all retail is going to zero. Not all retail is going to disappear because of online. Um, uh, so, no, look, I, I think that, and look, uh, as my wife and I, we, we, it was a, almost a weekly trip for the first couple of months of our first, uh, first son, you know, donate a lot of fun coupons at Baby Bunting. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a good to great business. It's, it's an above average business, um, well above average business, you know, so it's, it's uh, and it's still got growth over the next 10, 20 years. They're, they're just rolling out their first mm. store in New Zealand uh, next year or in the, ne in the next year and they're expecting 10 stores there. Yeah. Um, so um, it's online is growing pretty quickly. Um, no, it, it, it's, it's a really good business, which I would like to own. I wouldn't buy it at this price. Because it's expensive. Because it's expensive, but it's a business I would like to. It's, it's, I, this, you know, we don't own many Australian businesses. Um, this is on, on the list of things we would potentially own. But, um, so you would need some sort of a significant pullback, but that would come likely for a bad reason, don't you think? Oh, no, markets can pull back for any reason. And mm. uh, this could come down just with just market levels coming down. Um, and, uh, you know, at a lower price, I would be um, more interested. But, um, yeah. Okay, that's baby venting. So Center Group, S Center Group, SCG from Chris. So again, we're seeing a recovery post pandemic, but is it enough? Um, look, it's uh, Center Group. Um, we bought Center Group uh, at about a dollar ninety-one, I think it was, and it sold at two dollars seventy-one. So we, we, we've traded this uh, bounce, uh, but Center Group is not a dollar ninety-one anymore. So, <laughs> um, I, as I said in the last comment, I don't think that all retail is going to disappear. There's certain things which you are going to go into a store and uh, consume. Um, Center Group is anchored by Woolies and Coles, uh, which um, gives it a bit of. Um, safety there uh, in terms of uh, um, that. Uh, but Myers is a risk. It's, um, so Maya um, is a declining business. And if that uh, is no longer with us at some point in the couple, next couple of years, um, then that's a pretty large footprint. Um, so at this price, I look, we sold Center Group because there was better investments, not necessarily because I think it's um, um, uh, going down or anything yeah. like that it, um, but it's I also think they've raised some capital the the the, the margin they've, they've probably got uh, lower margins going forward as uh, as they're probably having to lower rents to compete and, uh, and and keep everyone in there having said that high street is also uh, declining much faster than the, uh, the the shopping centers so if you look if you walk down Oxford Street every second or third um, um, shop is is empty so high streets dying before uh, before the uh, shopping centres do. Well, because Centre Group says that it's a destination. You know, it's an entertainment centre. They'll always have these high quality businesses that people want to come and touch and feel. Yes, but that doesn't mean they can increase their rents over the next five or ten years. No. <laughs> so, it, as I said, it, I think it's a not going anywhere business, it, um, which you can buy when it's out of favour and then sell when it's not out of favour. Okay, so not a lot of upside, Ben. 
Yeah, I think it's it's one for the probably the right person who's looking for the right thing. Like the, the yield's 5.7% and that has been cut and it looks quite sustainable to me. It's the, the payout ratio was at around 100%, which is always a bit dangerous because there's not a lot of room for things going wrong. Um, but I think they've done the right thing. They've they've rebased the, the distribution, which is what most people will be interested in from this business. Um, it is trading at a big discount to its reported asset backing, which is the other key thing you look for with ARIATS. But I don't know if you can really look at asset backing and have a good idea. Like, you know, they, so what happens is they get um, valuers to come through every six months to revalue, you know, maybe six of the 70 yeah. shopping malls and then they rebase that across the portfolio. But these yeah. are very large, quite illiquid assets that really only know what they're worth when they come to sell them. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I kind of agree with you, Nadine, in that, um, you know, the trend is that brands want a presence, but they're reducing their overall retail presence, but they want to stay in the ultimate destinations because they want still want people to be able to come in and look and touch the products. So Hold, you know, a lot of holds for me today, which I know is a bit boring, but it's another hold. <laughs> okay. It's an interesting one because, yeah, it is. you know, yeah, I get your point about pricing power, but they have really stayed firm through this pandemic and said that they're not going to link, you know, rents with sales or anything like that. The CEO was quite clear about that last reporting season. Okay. Why don't we move on? Shall we? REA Group is the next on the list. This is for Tom. Tom, thanks for writing in. He's pointing out, you know, that there is a lot of heat in this market. You only have to look at my street. Everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, um, two of my neighbors have just said, look, I'm going to sell now. When's it going to get better? And so there's a lot more stock coming on yeah. as well, which was a real problem previously uh, in the market. So REA Group, are you pretty pleased with it now that uh, we're seeing a lot of this heat in the market? I'm I'm thrilled with it. I mean, you know, we own this. We've owned this. There's another company we've owned for a lot of years. This I think this is one of the highest quality businesses on the market. Um, the price reflects it. It's trading on 56 yeah. times forward. Um, but you you won't find many businesses like this. This company will always look expensive, just like Acro will always look cheap. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's got attributes that you cannot create. So, incredibly capital light, pricing power. They'll they'll push through probably a double price increase in, in June because they held off last year. Yeah. They, you know, we're supporting the agents to get them through this environment, um, doing the right thing. This year, they'll push through at least one and probably one and a half, I, I reckon. Um, housing market at the moment, they're in a sweet spot. Um, potential catalyst is the New South Wales government's proposal to get rid of um, stamp, stamp duty. Uh, stamp duty. Right. Now, that's a game changer because we all know if you live in Sydney, um, this chronic stock shortage of housing has been a problem for years. It's just become so expensive to move that people just stay where they are, which is not good for REA. No, and in the budget, there were some, you know, uh, some policy, there was some policy that would help encourage people to move out of their homes yep. and downsize. Yep. Older Australians is yep. what I'm talking about. Yeah, that, that's a big problem as well. That's a that's another massive problem. Yeah. So that that's that, and New South Wales is obviously the biggest market, so that's yeah. meaningful. Realtor, they own the number two um, player in the US. Um, we actually went and met with them when we were in America, and um, it's a pretty interesting business. Zillow's the big leader over there, but kind of straight, very strange business. Um, the IPP takeover a few years ago was an absolute stinker. They they really stuffed that up, and mm -hmm. they're now 
apparently talking about offloading that. Um, and but so then, do you have faith in management? Because I think they're going to take over Mortgage Choice now as well. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think Owen Houston. He was the CFO previously. He's, I think, overall done a great job. You know, look, IPP didn't turn out the way I, I think they'd admit that they they'd liked, but this is. A brilliant business. So okay. I, I think it's a hold. It's $163.42 right now. High. Yeah, hold and buy on a dip and just you will never get this company cheap. Okay. Buy on a dip. That's is that what you would do with REA Group? I'm going to actually disagree on this one. Uh, sorry, it. sorry, but I, know, I know you own it. Can't so go in the portfolio. No, <laughs> no, so I actually think it's a sell. Really? Take um, your profits so, and run? Um, the core Australian business is off the charts. If I could own that, I would own it. Probably, you know, I'd hold it at this price, wouldn't buy it at this price. But I think they're throwing good money at bad with a lot of their acquisitions. So um, their overseas acquisitions are not the number ones. And I property, you know, supposedly number one, but not, not making any money. If you're not number one, how are you not making money? Uh, but they're Indian, they've just bought more of their Indian um, uh, business up to 60 something percent, their ownership. Um, but the, the, I think it was, uh, Asia was down, the revenues were down 38% year on year. So, um, you know, they are throwing good money at bad. And that, you know, as, as Charlie Munger's uh, famous comment says, you know, when you mix sultanas and turds, you know, raisins and turds, you get turds. But, uh, so I, I think they might be getting a bit too much of the non-raisins in there. And uh, and I don't want to own it for that reason. <laughs> non-raisins. So there's this, there's, there's, yeah, you might be able to, um, yeah, they might sell IPP. They might, if they if they started to de Diversify, uh, stop diversifying. Sorry, uh, I, I'd be really interested. I think in we're making up words now. Yeah, so yeah, so they've been diversifying. You know, buying all these overseas. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the the US operation doesn't even come up in their uh, their um, their statements because it doesn't doesn't have any sort of um, uh, economic interest in their uh, in their numbers. So they don't even segment it out. But, um, so um, I. I so it's if, a you're sell. Gonna, if you're going to own these businesses, it's winner takes all. And so you look at REA versus Domain, it's winner takes all. Domain is just not that profitable compared to REA for their, their Australian business. I think this is a sell because they are throwing good money. Mortgage choice is not a terrible business, it's just not a great business. So has Rob changed your mind at all? No. Sorry to disagree. No, no, no. That, that's yeah. what makes the market. Yeah, I, yeah. I, mean, I think those parts of the business, and I, I think the criticism is valid. But they're so small versus the the Australian business, and there is an argument they should just stick with Australia. They're never going to find, I don't think, what they've created in Australia. I get the logic in going yeah. to India and these big growing populations where they're ten years behind us in terms of digital take up, but you do risk polluting the earnings. But I, I do think those parts of REA's business are minuscule, and yeah. so you kind to me like yeah. if you're focusing on ninety nine percent of EBIT and what that's going to do. I think it's going to keep going higher. Do you know Frontier Digital Ventures? Yes. Do you like that? We do. As a yeah. way to get some exposure to so those other Sean markets. Sean DeGregorio, who is the largest shareholder and CEO of Frontier, was the CEO of REA back mm -hmm. in um, 27. Um, he left, I think. And we've met up with him a number of times. And he is going down that path so of, of doing the same thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, like their biggest um, investment is in Pakistan, a yeah. business called Zameen. And um, 
He's an awesome operator. Um, he also still speaks very highly of REA. You know, every time I've spoken to him, he's like, I say, what are your thoughts on REA? Yeah. It's going to keep going. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, only because we're running out of time. Rob, I'm going to start with CBA with you. This is for Miles. So just surpassed the $100 milestone yesterday, briefly. Investor Day, I think, is taking place right now. Talking about the buy in, in, in AI-powered online shopping optimizer, Little Birdie, $20 million in uh, Amber Electricity, which is the cheap mm. energy provider. I mean, the stock is up more than 10% since the start of May. Would you be buying CBA now? No. Okay. <laughs> Tough crowd. Yeah. Why not? Price, uh, or, price or the sector? Uh, look, I am short-term bullish on property, long-term bearish. I think that the Australian property market um, is based on one of the largest household debt bubbles in the history of the world. Um, so, you know, you know, they've given $180 billion of free money to the banks and they lent that out for three years and everything's all fine for three years. And then what happens after that when the um, and then they start raising money, uh, not at uh, 0.01% uh, from the RBA. Um, so the, 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 the three-year fixed rates, which got down to you know, 1.89 for four-year fixed, I think it was, those things are starting to um, disappear and rates are starting to, fixed rates are starting to uh, tick up. Um, the banks are going to start raising more expensive capital uh, once that, that's uh, dried up. So um, I think the profits in the short term look um, potentially better than they may. Um, but I, I still think that at some point in time, there will be a property cycle and you do not want to be owning banks at the top of a cycle. You just look at Citigroup, um, they went from 550 down to 20, it was 20 something dollars and they haven't really recovered. Um, <coughs> we're not at the bottom of the cycle. Uh, I buy banks at the bottom of the cycle. I, I think it's a hold. Um, I wouldn't be buying it at these prices. This is a holdathon for me. It's another new word. Um, <laughs> um, CBA is the bank to own. If, you, if you're looking at the banks, um, it's just got this incredible com competitive advantage where it's got this huge shareholder base of, uh, sorry, a customer base of cash. And therefore it doesn't need to borrow as much money every time it lends one of us money for a mortgage. Yep. And so it's cost of funding is always cheaper than the rest of the bank. So it makes more profits and that's not gonna go away in a hurry. Um, you know, I, the, the, the move in the bank really, I think more reflects what didn't go wrong last year as opposed to something great happening for Commonwealth Bank. It's not like they found a way to suddenly really wrap it up, ratchet up profits. It's more that the nasty scenario of COVID didn't play out yeah. and that's what the market had sort of priced in. Um, long term, I think the threat for the banks is they're just getting attacked by digital businesses that can offer these parts of their profitable stuff much better. And you know, Afterpay Money is about to be launched and you know, 2.6 million people now very loyal Afterpay customers who are about to get offered a bank account, ability to pay their salary into that bank account. The tech around it, I'm sure, is going to be awesome. And it, it's not going to mean a lot in the short term, but it's just a sign of what's coming at the banks, I think. Yeah, that's fintech. And then you talk decentralized finance, and then that's a whole yeah. other conversation. Yeah. So we'll have to leave it there. Let me just recap quickly. What the guys have told us in the past half hour or so, Umedia, it's a hold for both of them. Again, it's a cyclical company. Baby Bunting, hold for Ben, that's on price alone. And same with Rob. So they do agree on this one. It's a hold because it's expensive, but everybody agrees that it's a good business. A center group, it's a hold for Ben. Um, it is an ultimate destination for, for the retail spend, but uh, it just doesn't have a lot of upside from here. 
And that's pretty much what Rob is saying as well. And he's questioning as well if he if uh, a center group loses some of those key key anchor tenants like Meyer, who knows what's happening with Meyer, that it's just not uh, in a great upcycle. Now, REA Group, despite Ben's best efforts, it's not going in the portfolio. <laughs> he would buy it to, uh, on any dip, maybe not today. It's definitely a hold. He's thrilled with this company. But uh, Rob disagrees. It's just throwing good money after bad, he says, in terms of these bolt-on acquisitions that it's making. CBA, it is a no for Rob. He does not own banks at the top of the cycle, which he says we're at right now. And he's questioning um, yeah, the high indebtedness of Australian households in particular when it comes to housing. Uh, but Ben says, look, CBA is a story of what didn't go wrong in the pandemic as opposed to what it specifically is doing right. And he flags the rise of fintechs and their ability to take on the established big four. So I don't think we got anything into the portfolio <laughs> in this episode, but that is, to Ben's point, what makes a market, right, Rob? Absolutely. A pleasure. Thank yeah. you for Thank joining you us Thank today. You. Really appreciate it, Ben, as Thanks well. Thank you. And that's the show for today. Feel free to email us at the call at ausbiz.com.au. Stay with us. Plenty more to come. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.